Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Awesome. The, uh, hey, I love that. Applause up front takes all the pressure off. They didn't clap at the end. Well, they clapped at the beginning. I got one, right? Uh, I'm so excited to be here with you all. This is my second opportunity to speak this morning. I got to speak at the men's conference last night, but I do think there's just probably something I need to go ahead and get out of the way and, and just kind of relieve everybody from the stress they're feeling right now because I, I know what everybody's thinking. It happens every time I go and speak. I'm usually stage left or I'm in a green room or somewhere and they start introducing me as this college football player, professional football player, former Navy SEAL, and the image of what that person looks like starts coalescing in everyone's mind. And then I come out on stage and there's always this kind of half second pause and everyone's like, is that the guy introducing the guy? Cause I didn't think Navy SEALs looked like that. Here's the deal, Navy SEALs are coming all shapes and sizes. My shape is round. And if you know anything about physics, round is the strongest shape in all of nature. So when things get really hard, all these perfect V-shaped guys, they're going to break in half. And I'm just going to keep on rolling. It's just a right shape. Science. That's just science. Round people rise up. It's our world. God made the earth. The earth is round. Yeah. I'm excited to be with you. I get to see these families out here. And, and this morning when I was leaving, I had this amazing family. And, and it really is, I talked today about this concept called the maps that matter most and, and how that culminates in this thing called the breakfast table. I have to confess to you that these things I, I'll share with you today are really the byproduct of getting it wrong and then getting it right, right? I've got an amazing family. I'll talk more about my bride later. We've been married for 25 years. It's a real beauty and the beast kind of relationship that we have. But I don't like it when people call her beast. I'm like, she's right there, man. Like, don't, you know, we were, we were just, there's some significant disparity between the two of us. We were, we were at Costco the other day and we were putting stuff on the thing and the guy puts the bar down right there. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, you can't put your stuff with her stuff. And I'm like, no, we're together. That's my wife. And he hit me. He's like, ha ha. I was like, what? I said, babe. She goes, I don't know him. I'm like, that's not funny. All of a sudden, Clint's going to be face down in the parking lot of Costco, cuffed up, because you just had to be funny all of a sudden, right? <laughs> Got these beautiful daughters, Maddie, Grace, Lily, Claire, and Sutton Rose. Maddie is, is wonderful. She was born while I was overseas. I came home when she was eight months old. I left two months before she was born. And, and uh, she's blue-eyed, beautiful, and thinks the world's great and wants everybody to win. And, and then I've got her daughter, too, Lily Claire. She's a spectacular athlete, and my bride's Arminian, and, and she's got this exotic uh, beauty to her, and, and she's a great soccer player, and she's got a smile on her face and murder in her heart all the time. It's really great. <laughs> and then I've got my redheaded nightmare, my little Kim Jong-un. This is my little daughter named Sutton. And I'm not worried about her. I'm worried about everyone around her. She, she um... She's going to be fine. We went to a parent-teacher conference, and the teacher's like, Clint, I just want you to know that Sutton is such a leader. I was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, a lot of times, times these conferences, she held up her hand. She goes, Clint, she's leading everybody the wrong way. I was like, oh, well, there, there it is. That's, that's the other foot that drops, right? <laughs> My mom was familiar with that statement. And, and, and these girls, I've girl, I'm a girl dad, which that should make you laugh, because clearly I know a lot about that, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I just, I have no idea what's going on at any given time. Someone's mad at someone, and it's inevitably my fault. I sit out in my truck before I go into work with, like, the same fear I had before I got off a helicopter on a raid. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, just help me not say the stupid things that I just naturally say when I get home, right? But through that love relationship I've had with my bride and my girls, I began to understand the relationship that God 
has with me in a way that I never thought possible until I became a father. And we have this beautiful thing called the Bible, and it's very much a love letter to each one of us individually. Can you imagine that? Can you consider the significance of that? If we believe what we say we believe, and I do, what that means is Jesus inhabiting the body of a man, fully God, fully man, resisted the devil, preached miracles, performed, preached truth and performed miracles and walked to the cross carrying the weight of my sin, knowing exactly who I'd be this morning as I walked out here to visit with Rock Point Church. And he died on the cross and he defeated death and he rose again and he revealed himself and then he returned to glory to create a place for us here. And if an electromagnetic pulse hears and, and, and we don't get to talk anymore, just know that that's your truth as well. We follow an amazing, righteous, mighty, perfect, holy, huge God that knows you and knows me and fearfully and wonderfully made us. And we get to learn the things about ourselves that he's always loved as we grow in richness with him. And there's parts of the Bible when I was growing up, and I've loved Jesus for a long time. I just didn't know he loved me as much as he said he did. There are parts of this Bible that I didn't know were about me. The, the stuff that he would talk about when we, he talks about us as his creation, as his, as his children, right? I, I, I believed it. I didn't think it was untrue. I just didn't know it applied to me because if he knew who I really was, he wouldn't feel that way. Then all of a sudden, I walked through the gates of DFW Airport in 2004, and I hold this eight-month-old daughter that's part mine and part her mom's, and I get it. Parts of the Bible just light up, and all of a sudden, they're about me. It's the first time I could understand fearfully and wonderfully made. The first time, I, I don't understand unconditional love. I couldn't at the time, and everybody loved me, loved me conditionally. The things I loved, I loved them because of conditions. I mean, my bride and I, we, we have this amazing marriage, but it's a conditional love that we have. I love her because she looks and says and does, and, and she loves me because, like, why wouldn't you, honestly, at the end of the day, right? <laughs> But it's conditional, and it doesn't make it bad and doesn't make it wrong. But, man, I was holding this daughter, and there's nothing she could do. There's nothing she could contribute, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for her. There's nothing she could do to make me love her less. And she was already wonderful in my eyes. And man, it was the first time I said, man, God, if that's how you see me, I've made this so much harder than it's supposed to be. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. You know, I love the opportunity I have to kind of come and visit with people, and, and, and I get opportunities to go all over the United States and talk to people, and, and usually when I'm talking to men, I got to speak to the men's group last night, and one of the questions I can almost always guarantee I'm going to get asked, especially when it's a group of young men, they go, hey, what's your favorite gun? What's your favorite gun? And there's nothing wrong with the question. There's nothing weird about it, but I tend to steal it and, and take it the way I want it to go, and I go, are you asking me what my favorite gun is or what my favorite weapon is? And they'll go, it's the same thing. I'm like, it's not. It's not the same thing. A gun is a tool. A weapon is what I use to win. A, gun, a, a tool is something I use. A weapon is what I use to win. For me, my favorite weapon has always been the map. The map is my favorite weapon. The map tells me everything. It tells me where the bad guy will be. It tells me where I'll come in. It tells me what to bring and what to leave. It tells me how to get home. As we apply that picture to the rest of our lives, and what I tell people is like, if you have a map, the worst you'll ever be is wrong but you won't be lost. Wrong and lost are different animals. I've been wrong and I've been lost. I hate them both. But I would take wrong over lost any day. Because when we're lost, any move could be wrong. It's paralyzing and it's fear, it's paralytic. It's the paralysis of analysis. But if we're wrong, it's just a matter of figuring out where we are, where we're supposed to be, 
availing ourselves to the wisdom of those who've been where we say we want to go and the camaraderie of those who say they want to be where we want to be and mean what they say as much as mean, we mean what we say and, and, and hoping we mean what we say as much as we thought we did and just taking the hill and doing it over and over again. I love the picture of a map. I understand a map is the singular difference between being lost and being wrong. And we begin to view the Bible as a map, perfect in its integrity, written just for you, just for me. Choose your own adventure with the same outcome regardless of what we choose. As long as we choose Jesus, everything after that is the same. We can begin to understand life as God intended it for us, right? When I kind of describe my life, kind of describe my life in the terms of the maps, and these maps that matter to me, and, and using the context of these maps, I want to kind of tell my story, and not because it's my story, but because hopefully in my story, you can see threads of your own and begin to tell your own story in the version of these maps. So this is not about me. This is about us. It's about a creator that loves us so much that he sent his only son to make sure we can spend eternity with him if we just get out of our own way. And when I look at my own life, I look at my life in the terms of the ball field, the battlefield, the boardroom, and the breakfast table. Those kind of define my life. That's, that's the experience I've had. And, and, and these were literal places, but they're also figurative places. When I talk about the ball field, you know, I, I, football was my sport. And I loved football way sooner than football loved me. For those of you young men and young women who are just kind of discovering what your talents are and what your talents are, I will tell you, my singular gift is this. I've always known where I want to go, and I've always known what I'm not. And I examine that delta between what it takes to get where I say I want to go, and I compliment myself with the giftedness of others. We just take the hill. And there's a lot that I'm not. You know, I tell the difference, the, the, the difference between being excellent and elite is, 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 is not talent, We've all done this long enough to see there's nothing more abundant than unrealized talent, unfulfilled potential. I'm not a very talented person. I jokingly call myself the achieving average. I'm an achieving average, but I'm not an average achiever. It's a little bit of a play on words. When I say I'm an achieving average, what I mean by that is if you were to aggregate all my gifts and abilities, you'd find me to be a high C or a low B and just about everything except for looks. I'm a good looking guy, like I get it. I know you're like, that's a handsome man. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I walked out of the house this morning. I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror, and I, I turned to look at my bride, and I said, hey, babe, I can turn it down, but I can't turn it off. And she, uh, <laughs> she laughed, too, which is a little bit hurtful, right? I'm <laughs> not a very talented person, right? But because I've always had this X, this high and hard X that I knew I couldn't get to on my own, I've managed to do these things. When I talk about, you know, the ball field, I grew up, uh, I was born in Arkansas. I moved down to Dallas when I was about 12. And when, by Dallas, I mean Garland. If you're going to move from Arkansas to Dallas, Garland's a really good way to do that. It feels like you're still in Arkansas. You're just close to the Six Flags and Wet and Wild. So it works out great. You know, played football there, um, had to make some decisions. And I'll talk about it a little bit more on my breakfast family side. But had an amazing father that loved me, that cared about me, and, and, and he didn't do anything other than just die when I needed him most, and after I'd stopped listening to him because I thought I already had it figured out. And so I chose to go to the Naval Academy, and I remember the inflection point of that decision. I remember going up to him and seeing him in the hospital, and my, my, my dad said, son, you got to make a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision about what you're going to do next, because this might not work out, and I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to listen to that. I don't want to hear this embodiment of strength and endurance and toughness confess that this may not work out. And so I just didn't want to hear it. It felt like my dad said he was quitting. And my dad grabbed me and he goes, listen, son, leaders talk about what they don't want to talk about. They say what they don't want to say. They listen to what they don't want to listen to. And they plan for what they don't want to happen. That makes them the leader. 
And we got to start thinking about that. So I went to the Naval Academy and played football there, and that was probably the best place I could go as this like young, strong guy that would fight at the drop of a hat for something that was virtuous. It had to be virtuous in my mind in order for me to fight. But I was also pretty good at shaping that, like he looks like he's gonna say something rude. <laughs> it was wrong. And, uh, and all of a sudden I'm at the Naval Academy, I got some six foot tall barrel chested freedom fighter with decorations for valor on his chest. And he's pointing me in the, in the chest and he's like, I'm gonna take you out. And there's a back of my mind, I was like, I think he can. And I think he's probably done it before. I was like, hey Sergeant, perhaps I shall listen to what you are saying. I apologize, we have started off on the wrong place, right? And played football at the Naval Academy, had a wonderful career there. Ran around with some of the best men I know and their families. And you know, got an opportunity to play in the NFL, played for the Baltimore Ravens. No one knows that I played for the NFL because I played the same position as Ray Lewis. He's pretty good. <laughs> I remember being at practice one day saying, it might be easier to become a Navy SEAL than to beat out Ray Lewis. So it was, and I did. And... Um, <laughs> And as I look at these maps, as I talk about there's kind of a, a sequence of things, it's the map, and then it's my X on the map, and then it's what I learned to be God's X on the map, and I only wonder what could have happened if I put God's X up there first. When I think about my X that I had on the map when it came to football field, I wanted to be a, a formidable adversary. I wanted to be a worthy competitor. Football for me was a context of proving the people who believed in me right and the people who didn't believe in me wrong, and it was very much about me. It was my, it was my identity. It's who and what I was. Until I realized what God's ex for me was. And God's ex was like, hey, I want you to play this game that I've gifted you for in a way that makes me famous. The way that you train, the way that you perform, the way that you compete in victory and in defeat. That's what I want. And, and I learned this. Um, you know, we were a very successful football team. Went to a bowl game, first game in 20-something years. There's a picture of me at the Naval Academy. And I've got this trophy over my head, and it's this huge bowl trophy, and we hadn't won one since the early 80s. And, and you look at that trophy, and you look at that picture, and you think it's a happy picture, but the truth is, it's one of the saddest pictures of my life. Because what you don't know about that picture is, I've been holding that trophy for probably 10 minutes. They gave it to me as captain of the team, and and MVP of the season, and I held that thing over my head, and, and it's resting on my head in the picture because my arms are so tight, I couldn't hold it over my head anymore, and I wouldn't take it down, I wouldn't let anybody else carry it. Till four guys who I love and care for to this day, they're some of my best friends in the world. You can see them in the back of the pictures, they start coming towards me, and what they realize is Clint's not proud, he's scared. Because here's this X on a map, God says, I will not let no other God stand before me. There'll be no false idols. And, and though I love Jesus being this person on the map, with, had become a kind of a God to me. And God did what he says he's going to do with those false gods. And I was terrified about what would happen when I took that trophy down. The minute I set that trophy down, who am I? What do I do next? How do I earn this affection and this admiration? These four guys who love Jesus came around me and they, they, they slowly rubbed the back of my head on my shoulders and they say, hey, we love you. We loved you before this trophy. We're going to love you after this trophy. This isn't who you are. This is what we did. And they coached it out of my hands and led me in my locker and just let me sit there. And I remember sitting there just agonizing, just saying, I don't want to go outside right now. This is Christmas Day. None of my family's out here. We couldn't afford to come out. And, and all these guys that I love, their family's out there and they're celebrating them. And I just didn't want to be reminded of what I didn't have when I left that locker room. I was jealous and envious of what these men would hear their father say to him, knowing full well I hadn't heard my father say much to me after he died, and I stopped listening to him before then more than I should have. 
remember walking out of that locker room and all the families had stayed. And these fathers were in a line. And each of them took a turn to tell me what they thought my father would have said to me after this. And they told me they loved me. And they told me they loved me before I had the trophy. And they're going to love me afterwards. And, and also I started thinking about God's ex for me on that football field. And God's ex was to show myself worthy of a creator that loves me passionately. And uses the context of performance to bring people to him. For me, the scripture that kind of defines, you know, the ball field and many of the other things I do is Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says, "You see a man excellent in his work, and not speak for small men, but speak for kings." And I'm a girl dad, and I take license, and I go, "You see a woman excellent at her work, she not speak for small men, she'll speak for uh, kings and queens." And, and and for me, what happens is we play so hard, we do things so well that someone comes up to we're trying to earn audience for the moment where someone goes, "Hey, what's different about you?" And then in all humility, you get to go up to him and go, "Hey, man, there's no what." It's different about me. There's a who. There's a who that's different about me. That may be what you're seeing. This confidence, this comfort, this clarity that comes from knowing this Christ who knew who I'd be the moment you asked me that question and was willing to die for me. And you know what? He loves you too. He wrote this whole book to you. This love letter from a creator to his creation. And I loved my season on the ball field, I did. But I look back and I wonder like how much more I could have enjoyed it and how much freely I would have played and how many other people maybe I could have blessed if I'd have just known how simple it was and started chasing God's ex instead of mine out of the gate. These maps that matter most of us, who authors the X's on these maps is really important. And then we go to the battlefield. You know, the special operations community, member of the SEAL teams. And I love being in the SEAL teams. I remember when, when I was going through training, you know, that training is difficult. And everybody says it's the hardest training in the world. And, and, and listen, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's not. But I've watched what Rangers go through and Marines go through and Air Force goes through. I know several Air Force guys that went ahead and played golf even when it was raining. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. That's a joke. I love the Air Force. If you almost want to serve, sign up. And I'm joking. I'm joking about that. I'm joking. I'm joking. I love the Air Force, I do. Their bases are just so much better than ours. That's the spirit of covetousness, I'll confess to that. You know, but leaving the, the, the NFL and coming to the battlefield and trying to earn my spot in the SEAL teams. When I started training, there were 250 guys that said they wanted to be Navy SEAL. 250 guys want to be Navy SEAL, want to be Navy SEAL. And there's just 12 of us left. Like, how is I one of these 12? I'm stunned by that now. You know, when I look at the exes I had, as the exes I had in the SEAL teams, I wanted to be feared and expected, respected and admired by, by my teammates and the enemy, right? As I began to avail myself to what God wanted for me, what I, what I found is God wanted to put me in really hard places and really scary moments so people could watch what I trusted and found confidence in those moments. I remember the first time we were with this thing called Halo, high altitude, low opening, you jump out of a plane and you pull pretty low. And as we we're going through Halo school, I would always say like, hey, does anyone want to pray? And there was another special operations member who said, he goes, I'm, I'm satanic, I'm a Satanist. Now, I don't think he was. I just think he was just trying to be the antithesis of what I said was important. He's like, I'm not going to do your stupid prayer. I was like, all right, it's not mandatory. So we jump out of a plane at 10,000 feet, and he's making fun of us. We jump out of a plane at 15,000 feet, and I notice he's a little bit closer to us. We jump out of a plane at 20,000 feet during daytime, and he's kind of right there. We do a 20,000-foot nighttime jump. He's like, Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> Fear makes you humble, right? 
So I remember 250 guys showing up, and, and how did 12 of us make it through? And 12 of us made it through because of this. 12 of us never forgot why we were there in the first place. Remember why you're doing what you're doing, the what stays small. We begin to identify ourselves as people, as this reflection and this introduction to this fearless, wonderful God. The why is clear and the what's keep their place. And it doesn't mean they're not hard. It doesn't mean they don't struggle. It doesn't mean it was easy. When I flipped that switch, the the hard things became endurable. The the hard things became easier. It was never easy. You know, I I remember I'd go into SEAL training and they're like, hey, you're going to run 14 miles today. And I'd raise my hand because I'll give you all a second to process this. I'm not a runner. I know y'all are looking at me like, that man is a gazelle. He can run for days. <laughs> it's not true. I don't like running. Here's a little tangent highway. If you run marathon, stop immediately. I'm going to try to save you. It's a little bit of a historian. Here's the history of marathon. Battle of marathon, the Greeks won. Philippines ran 26.2 miles. He went to the king. He goes, we won, we won, we won. You know what he did then? He died. And I don't think you need to model that kind of behavior. I think it's irresponsible. Get a horse, ride a bike. Take a hoverboard. I don't care if it blows up underneath. I'll just get another one. I'm not running 26 miles. 14 miles. All right, fine. That's just what I have to do because I know why I'm here. Just what I have to do because I know why I'm here. It doesn't matter what I do when you know why you're there, right? It doesn't make it easier. It just reminds you why you're doing it. There's no secrets to running. Actually, there is. If you're a big guy and you're trying to make it the training, here's the secret. There's one secret to big man running, and the secret is this. Lean forward until you're about to fall over, then don't. (laughs) For however far you gotta go, it's a controlled fall. You don't look cool, but you make the times, right? I'm not running 26 miles, 14 miles, okay. That's what I have to do, because I know I'm here. You know, next day, hey, you're gonna swim eight miles, where? In the ocean, there's sharks in the ocean. Yeah, well, if you're a shark, who do you eat? Me or the guy that's running marathons, he, he, that guy's like feeding a bear lettuce. You didn't fill him up. Probably just made him real angry, right? You, me, I don't know if sharks hibernate. That one's gonna. He's fine. <laughs> Ate that big guy six months taking a nap, right? When you know why you're there, everything you do stays small. It doesn't make it easier. It just makes it better. What the battlefield taught me is when I remember the commander's intent, when I remember commander's intent in the military is the one thing you don't forget. It's the one thing that everything reconciles against. It's how you make decisions, right? The plan is just what you have till everything changes. We play no, no plan survives first contact. When you have that commander's intent, you can reconcile all the adjustments and all the adaptations against that singular thing. What the battlefield did for me was made true what the Bible had been telling me my entire life. There's a reason I'm here. And when I know that, I can adjust accordingly. And these, these false exes, these false gods, through no malice or no attempt to unseat God in the heart of my throne, I'm just a fleshly man that wants to prove myself to others, then it's gonna fail me. But if I can keep my eye on where God wants me to be and what he says, and there's no mystery in that, it's in the Bible, then everything else happens the way it's supposed to happen. It does not get easier, it does get better. The times that God revealed himself to us while we were in harm's way, unlimited and hard to fathom the frequency of them. And, and I learned to love and hate those things. I hated being that scared. I hated the thought of not all this going on. I hated all these things, but I loved the moments after that where someone would come up to me and go, hey man, how did you maintain? I'm like, man, I just, I know where I'm going if this whole thing doesn't work out. It doesn't mean I'm excited for it. It doesn't mean I'm looking to it, but I'm just not afraid of the other side. I have a God that loves me. Jeremiah 29, 11, 
For I know the plans I have for you, said the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And I've just done this thing so much, and I've been on the high ground so often, I just know that to be true, and I want that for you. My ex on the battlefield was to be feared, respected, admired by the enemy and by my teammates, and very quickly I realized that my ex should be showing the enemy of my teammates this God that is worthy of being feared and respected and loved and admired. We celebrate sacrifice on the battlefield. Greater love has he than no man than he gives his life for his friend. Well, that's what Jesus did for all of us. And to live that out in a way that made him famous, and you get to drink deeply from the well of being on mission when you do that. So we talked about the ball field, we talked about the battlefield, now we go to the boardroom, and I'll, I won't lie to you, becoming, going to the boardroom was the hardest thing I've ever done. Harder than Buds, harder than Hell Week, harder than football. Learning how to rewire the proposition of success was very difficult for me. I'd never done anything that took longer than a week or two weeks to, to be able to self-assess and measure my value and reconcile my worthiness against others, but the business world does not do that to you. It, it just drags you out for a long time, and I didn't know how to handle that. And, you know, and so I, I, when I first left the SEAL teams, I went into wealth management. And I know what y'all are saying right now. Like, yeah, I'd trust a guy that looks like you with all my money. Well, no one else did either, so it wasn't going great. <laughs> I would sit down with someone and go, hey, can I manage your wealth? And they said, no. Well, I, well, I don't want to manage your stupid wealth anyway. I hate you and everything. I had some anger issues I was working through in the moment. I'm also really, really honest. So I would sit down with someone and go, hey, can I manage your wealth? And they go, you better than my person. I'm like, lose your person. They'd tell me, I'm like, no, that person is so good. Like... <laughs> If they die, call me, but I'd stay with them, you know. So that was going great. I got invited to a Bible study. And I wanted to plug back into a Bible study, and, and um, you know, because my ex was to, to not be worried about money and be able to protect those who, who've been entrusted to me and provide for those in a way that we didn't know after dad died and, and all these other things. And I had the, all these, these qualifications, these reasons for success, and, and, and I'd love to tell you that pride and fear wasn't in there, but there were fear, and I think pride is just well-disguised fear is all it really is, if we're being honest about it. Pride is just well-masked fear. So I wanted to be seen on the boardroom the way I was seen on the ball field and the battlefield. And I got invited to this Bible study. And there's no bad reasons to go to a Bible study, but there's better reasons than others. And I got invited to this Bible study, and there's a bunch of really successful guys in there I wanted to meet. And, and so I went, and it, and it wasn't that I went there wrong. It's just funny to see what God does. And I walked into this Bible study with these spectacularly successful men from the business world in Dallas-Fort Worth, and I walked right in to this Bible study on Ecclesiastes. Boy, and if you're a scoreboard guy... And you're building what the scoreboard looks like once you're in the private sector. Ecclesiastes will spare you a lot of pain from that. And Solomon's just saying, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. And, and, and my ex was being ripped apart and, and reinvented by God who loved me too much to let me chase the wrong things for too long. And not only that, not only was I listening to Solomon talk about his story, I was looking at these incredible men who were living this very successful life, and, and they were all affirming what Ecclesiastes was saying, what Solomon was saying, is I remember there's one guy who goes, I can't make another million dollars. I'm like, well, I can't make my first, so, you know. <laughs> and he goes, no, what I mean is like, the next million dollars doesn't do anything for me. I'm like, man, will you help me understand that? I don't, I don't get that. He goes, well, I grew up with nothing. And, and I thought that first million dollars would make it all right. And I'm like, well, I understand that. I understand that. I don't get to hear my father say he's proud of me. So I'll make 100,000 people say they're proud of me all at once. And when they do, and it doesn't move the needle, now you're hurting. And he said, you know, I grew up with nothing. And I said, when I make that first million, it'll all be okay. And then it wasn't. I said, well, I'll make two, and it'll all be okay. And it wasn't. 
It's probably five. It made five men a little bit. It must be seven. Made seven. It's got to be ten. He goes, at ten million, I realize there's nothing on this map that's going to fill that hole in my soul that only Christ can fill. And how merciful God was to recalibrate my ex as I entered the stage called the business world. And now we come to the breakfast table, which is the most important map, and it's always been the most important map. I, I think when you, when you kind of conceptualize this thing that I call the maps that matter most to me, the way I do it is this breakfast table map is that first map you open on Google Maps, right? It's the original one. And, and the ball field and the battlefield and the boardroom, these are just layers that you toggle on top of it. And we're born onto a breakfast table, and we don't have much to do with that, and sometimes that's great, and sometimes it's not. I was born into a great breakfast table. My father died, but I had one. And I'm blessed because of that. And I have a lot of friends that are born into a breakfast table. It's just got to make you wonder, hey, God, what are you doing? Putting him in that family. Putting her in that family. Or the absence of one. And then we build a breakfast table. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll build the antithesis of the one we're born into and end up just hitting a telephone pole on the other side of the road if we're not careful. But if we put that X in the middle where it's supposed to be, it'll bless us just like my bride did. I met my bride 27 years ago, right around this time of year. I was at the United States Naval Academy, and my roommate at the Naval Academy went to high school with her, and we were home before we went back to, to school, and he invited her over to his house, invited me over to his house, and I'm like, Mom, I don't want to go over to Dean's house. She goes, listen, you're going over there. I'm like, no, I'm not. She goes, you've been kicked out of the Naval Academy if it weren't for Dean. I'm like, that's a good point. I'll probably go. So I went over there, and of course, we're at his house not doing anything, and, and the door knocks, and I open the door, and there she is, Amy Savagian. And I knew that Dean liked her, but I also knew that she probably wasn't going to like him. And I, so I wanted to save him. I wanted to prevent him. I just wanted to, I wanted to, I care. I was like, this is not going to work well for you. I will jump on this grenade. Hi, right? Because I love him. I want him to be okay. And the eventual heartbreak was not going to be helpful to him. So I just stepped right in there and took it. And I didn't have a front tooth. I was a classic middle linebacker. No front tooth, you know, big, ugly meathead. And, and I got hit by a drunk driver and it crushed the side of my face. And I had this fake tooth that I would take in and take out when I had to eat. And guys would steal my tooth. And I'd be in this dilemma like, man, do I find my tooth or do I catch my flight? So, you know, I, didn't, I came home without a tooth, right? <laughs> and so I met my bride and she didn't know I didn't have a tooth, but she thought I had a speech impediment because I was like, hi, my name is Clint. And, uh, <laughs> I kept that top lip low, man, the whole time. And so we met that night, went on a date the next night. The next night I went to see her before I went back to the Naval Academy. She hands me these cassette tapes. And she goes, if you want to date me, you'll listen to this. And I'm like, you're hot. I'll listen to whatever you want to. It could be Carl Sagan's universe. I'm going to listen to this thing back and forth. And it was Tommy Nelson's Song of Solomon. It was God's guidance to us on how we meet, date, court. Get and stay married. And the success of our marriage has so much to do with what this gal put in front of me. And maybe listen to before I started to try to win her heart. It has availed us through combat tours. It has availed us through the loss of my friends that have become her friends. You know, I used to want this ex on a map to be this dad that everybody wanted to have and this husband that other women envied. And all of a sudden, I had this ex on a map that was given to me by this beautiful girl who went to the Bible in the very first place. And I get to use my breakfast table as a place to you know, solve pain that, that, that I had and show guys that, hey man, it's not about being right, it's about being real. 
being honest, authentic, and intentional with your words. You know, I get to go around and tell people, hey, I know why I am. And I talk about the guys who made it through trainings because they, they know why they're doing what they're doing. And you have to have a big why and a high why. And your big why is why do we use our time and our treasure and our talent the way that we use our time, our treasure and our talent. Our high why is why we exist. It's, it's what they're going to say about us when we're gone. And the stats on death are incredibly convincing. One-on-one, we're all going to go. And they're going to say something about us when that happens. And that high why is why we existed. On that moment in September when I came home from war and held an eight-month-old daughter, I got the why that I've been looking for my entire life, to be this at the breakfast table for her, my bride, and for this daughter, equal parts her and me, be worth the trust they placed in me, and to love them fearlessly and recklessly and audaciously and perfectly, and to try to be like David and a man after God's own heart. David was not a man after God's own heart because all his achievements. David was a man after God's own heart because what he did when he messed up. He was so fast to go, oh, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. David writes his death song. And in his death song, there's this verse where he says, you found me righteous, you found me blameless. And because he said that, everyone debates, they dispute when he wrote that. Because they said, surely he can't write that towards the end of his life after he'd done these things wrong. And I think he did. And I didn't go to seminary, and I haven't studied this deeply, but let me tell you why I think he did. I think David wrote that verse because he just had the audacity to believe God at face value. When God said, when you confess and repent, I forgive you, as it would never happen. So when he wrote down, sat down to write that chapter, he must have confessed that he was in, and received that, 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 wait, that blank slate that we get when we confess our sins. And, and for the duration of writing that verse, he was sinless and faultless and blameless because that's what God said would happen when you confess and repent your sins. And maybe he screwed up in the next verse and he couldn't say it anymore. But when he did, he did because he knew what God's always going to do what he says he's going to do, even when we don't. Oh, these amazing families. You know, and, and, and so my why is, is I just want to be the kind of guy these girls want to marry one day. That's it. And it came on like that. What I do, who I do it for, who I do it with. If my girls come home with a guy like me, I better be okay with it because that's what I showed them. And that man's going to be purposeful, passionate, protective, and a provider. And the definition of those things is what the Bible tells me they are, not what the world tells me it's going to be. Because the world will try to tell me how to be a good husband and be a good daddy. And the, and the world's not doing too great at that. When I look at what the Bible tells me to be as a husband and a daddy, I'm in the game. I'm in the fight. And I'll encourage you with this. You, you all have a map. And it never really matters where you are at any given time. It matters where we try to go next once we become honest about where we are in that moment. And if there's time on the clock, it means because your creator still considers you of tremendous value an incredible use in this battle for souls for eternity. It doesn't matter where we've been, it's where we go next. And the difference between being lost and being wrong is simply this. If you are lost and you grab that Bible and you open it and you read it as though it was written to you, at worst you're wrong, but you're not lost anymore. And it just gets better with every turn of the page when God writes the X's on these maps that matter most to us. What a gift that is have more time to chase Jesus. There's no X's on a map that we get to in this world that are everything it's supposed to be. There's X's on a map worth going to and people worth going with. And we bounce around towards Jesus till we meet him. And once we figure that out, then it's just the adventure and the mission. 
but we are fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator that cannot wait to welcome us home. And scripture guides that whole thing. For me, I go to scripture really fast. And someone asked me my business plan the other day. This young guy that's getting out of the military, special operations, he goes, Clint, what's your business plan? And I grab a post, you know, he's like, post, you know, I thought it was gonna be longer than that. No, it's Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. It's First Peter 5, 6, and 7. As a guy who wrestles with tremendous insecurity, First Peter 5, 6, and 7. Do not put on airs. God will promote you in his due time. He's very careful for you. Are you gonna let write the story? You, with our limited view, or the creator and author of the universe? Galatians 6, 9 is the, it's the firewood verse. Do not go where you're doing is right in a time of harvest and a benefit. So just find the right things and do them over and over and over again. Proverbs 22, 29, you see a man excellent is working on speak for small men and speak for kings. Proverbs 27, 2, let no one boast for himself a stranger's lips and not his own. And get with God out of the beginning. Don't sweat it. Do work. Be excellent. Shut up. Repeat. That's the X on the map. And anybody that tries to tell us something different than that, isn't chasing the same thing we are. So be encouraged about the maps you have in your life. Now all that X is is a cross. It's the intersection of faith and fear. Scripture tells us who we ought to be as athletes, as warriors, as providers, and as members of a family. And so one slash of that X is what Scripture says, and the other slash of that X is us uniquely, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. How do I do the things that I'm scared of that I know God knitted me capable of doing? And we just go. And we surround ourselves with people who mean what they say as much as we mean what we say. We're heading towards Jesus like we are. And that's all it is. I loved being in the Navy. I loved everything about it. All of our lessons and our, our language and our lore. And it's this young guy that just kind of lost everything. Lost my father. Lost some friends. I'd find this battle cry. This thing was just mine. They can beat you, but this is in your marrow. They can't beat it out of you. And the saying became, hold fast and stay true. I used to write it on my knuckles. H-O-L-D-F-A-S-T, S-T-A-Y-T-R-U-E, for every game, for every mission, for do anything that matters to me now. Bruce, remember who you are and what you're about. What it means is this. As men and women go out to sea and the, and the storms rise against the deck of a ship, everyone on the deck of a ship would look at each other and go, hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. And they were, what they're telling each other is grab the stuff that lasts. Weathered, beaten, scarred, still here. And just hang on. The Bible is unrivaled in its integrity and authenticity, unimpeachable in its value. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us how to view this Bible, and I promise you, if you hold fast and stay true, what the author of that map tells you, it'll be all right. It won't be easier, but it'll be better, and you'll get where you say you want to go. And stay true is for you. It's for me as a person when the ship's wheel in their hands. They go, stay true, stay true, stay true, and they're saying that, hey, there's a place we're going for this. got really hard. And you're going to let the winds, waves, and storms, you're going to stay true, and we need you to stay true. The X on the map God gave each one of us that leads us towards him. The truth is this. We're going to have a million opportunities to run after the high, hard ground God put in front of us or to settle with what the world's trying to sell us. And I can't encourage you enough to chase Jesus. Chase that intersection of faith and fear that's where the good stuff is. Hold fast. Stay true. Thank you for letting me spend time with you. God loves you. You're fearfully, wonderfully made. He's excited to see you put the pack on and chase the hat X he has for you. Let's pray.
Father God, we love you so much, and we love that you're God, so we don't have to be. We just ask to be comforted by that and reminded of that. You're God, and we don't have to be. You've got it all. Father, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. We know that we're forgiven because of Jesus. Jesus, you are fully God, fully man. You walked the earth. You resisted the devil. You preached truth and performed miracles. You walked to the cross carrying the weight of my sins and the sins of all humanity, knowing exactly who we'd be this morning at Rock Point Church. You died on the cross. You defeated death. You rose again. You revealed yourself. You returned to glory to create a place for us there. What an amazing gift that is, Lord. We love you. We ask you to gently and sweetly remind us that you're God and we don't have to be. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.